we live in a pretty comfortable world right now, you know, mm-hmm. compared to even 15, 100 years ago. Yeah. Everything in our life is so comfortable. You know, we just go to the grocery store to get food. You know, our homes are heated, everything like that. You know, Uber Eats. <laughs> yeah, 100%. In America, we're so spoiled. And I think that this huge surge in rock climbing and, and endurance junkie sports right now mm-hmm. is because people are looking for something to get out of the comfort zone to really push themselves and feel fulfillment because you need, you need something tough in your life to really feel fulfilled and to feel accomplished. Welcome to the Zero Quit Podcast, where we bring you inside the minds of elite athletes, business owners, and other guests. I'm your host, Brock Covington, and through these conversations, you'll hear practical advice and effective strategies for building a more resilient mind. If you enjoy listening, be sure to subscribe to the show and share it with a friend. All right, guys, so today we have on Reese Robinson. He is a filmmaker, outdoor enthusiast, and recently a co-founder of the audacious report how you doing sir i'm doing really well brock thanks for having me on super excited absolutely so i feel like that's a perfect starting point is the audacious report because you just got back from leadville and we'll dive into that in a minute but what is the audacious report and what kind of kick-started you and your co-founder robbie ballinger uh to start it so robbie actually came up with the idea it was bouncing around in his head for a few years um he has gained Robbie Ballinger, for those who don't know, he's a badass Freak. ultra runner. <laughs> he's vegan. Uh, he just, you know, he just ran 245 miles to beat a Tesla in three days. And he's, he's incredible. Um, he is now getting into mountain running, living out in Colorado. And um, he is really good at organizing events, him and... His wife, Shelly, they've done so many of these ultras. And so the Audacious Report comes from a multifaceted place of let's celebrate people doing rad shit. There's mm-hmm. actually a lot of coverage already about races, trail races of all sorts, road races. Mm-hmm. Um, you can find a lot of media on those. But what about people doing events, feats of endurance that are not races? You know, mm-hmm. Robbie ran FKT. across the country. Yeah. Yeah, and, and even stuff that you just come up with, like, hey, I'm going to outrun Tesla. Uh, yeah, hey, I'm going to yeah. run all the tallest peaks in Colorado, do the toughest challenges in Colorado in just two months. Well, and dude, he's, uh, he's like the perfect example of, and of course it makes sense because, you know, he's like the origin of it, but the perfect example of why something like the Audacious Report needs to be a thing because there are just those insane individuals that are pushing limits, that are seeking out these wild challenges that aren't a traditional thing that's covered, that aren't a traditional thing that, you know, you wouldn't have, let's say, a group of runners or people necessarily to sign up to do a Colorado crush, right? It's a very individual effort exactly. that you have to plan, you know, on, on a personal basis. And so, you know, with Robbie specifically, you know, he has those weird accolades that not everyone understands. They almost, each accolade needs an explanation. Like, what do you mean he raced a Tesla? What do you mean he did all the peaks, all this, that, you know, the Colorado Trail, the Leadville, all in one summer? Like, you have to almost explain the feat. And once it's explained, the person's like, what the hell did, you know, like, how does one even do this? So I, I think it's great that you guys have, have put together this essentially a media outlet. And I, I'm excited to see kind of where it's going to be, you know, down the road as, as you guys put together more content around it and really expand it and grow it. 
Thanks. Yeah, we're super excited. We launched with uh, our debut film a couple months ago. As you know, The Colorado mm -hmm. Crush, for those who haven't seen it, if they want to get inspired to get out on some trails, check out The Colorado Crush on YouTube. And we have so much in the works, um, some incredible athletes and feats that are really mind-blowing that I'm there and I'm just like, how is this person doing this? We can talk more <laughs> about that. Uh, we got a lot coming down the pike that are, you know, these audacious feats of endurance that are so incredible. Yeah. So recently you just got back, as I mentioned earlier, from Leadville. I was really upset because I was meaning to go to Leadville for the race, but then it, it was just funny that all these different things are like my life was all happening on like that same day. Like my uh, wife's dad had bought us Colorado Rockies tickets like way in advance. And so we needed to be there for that. And then I had to, it, it, it just kind of sucked, but I missed out on it. So I was jealous of seeing everybody there. But you just got back and you were filming uh, Hellas Adibe, which most people, uh, if you don't know, you should look him up along with Robbie and the Audacious Report and everything like that. But filming Hellas, first 100-mile race, and of course it being such a like a memorable historic race like Leadville. What was that experience like? So Hella is just positive energy embodied. Yeah. He is probably one of the most positive, energetic people I know. And what we want to do is we're in the process of making possibly a longer film about Hella, um, telling his origin story, telling the story of his transcon, and which he came up with kind of out of the blue. And he had been running every day for a couple of years and was just like, you know what, I'm running every day anyway. Why don't I run across the country? So he's got this five plus year run streak. He run, ran across America. And Leadville was huge for him because he had always wanted to do it. He had read Born to Run. And it was this defining moment where it was his first ultra race. And it was his first real experience on trails in depth. Mm -hmm. So it was such an honor to document him and watch him through that uh, <laughs> hell of a race. And you yeah. know what? He, he's, he's an energetic guy. But he has also this incredible amount of discipline. He mm -hmm. took his time through the race. You know, he started the first half marathon. He did 12 and a half minute miles, which takes so much discipline. You know, you're starting at 4 a.m. with some yeah. of these best runners in the world. And most people are doing like eight, nine minute mile half marathon. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, they, of course, they regret that. But he's just, he's an incredible figure because he's got this resolve, this discipline, focus and he's got this positivity and energy and i love how he balances it all yeah you know it's funny because you, you said exactly what i get i haven't met him but i get that exact feeling through his instagram through videos things like that that he is this positive soul all the time and sometimes you know it's it, it's always something you think about with people like that like are they really like that all the time and so with this race and i'm excited to see you know what film you put together eventually covering it is i was wondering you know as anyone experiences during these ultra races you experience a lot of low low stressful uh fatiguing moments right and so i was wondering is this gonna put a little bit more edge to him is he gonna get a little bit you know angry or frustrated or have to dig into a different non-positive kind of realm for this race so it you know with him and also in general with filming the colorado crush you know i know robbie went through some rough patches what is it like filming people during those wide ranges of emotions, especially those dark moments to where 
they probably don't even want the camera on them in that moment. They probably do want it later to look back on it. But in that moment, the last thing they want is a camera. They might even be questioning quitting, which would almost make the film in a way pointless to an extent. You know, what is that experience like? That's a great question. I think what I specialize in and what I try and embody in my filmmaking is fly on the wall, verite, as it's called, um, mm -hmm. observational documentary. So I try to start filming with these feats, you know, at least several days, if not weeks, depending on the event, in advance. Mm -hmm. And the sacrifice I make is sometimes I'm not able to be totally present as just Reese hanging out with these people, mm -hmm. but I try and keep the camera around. I try and make sure that they forget that I'm there and get them used yeah. to me filming with them because you can't really get an authentic um, reaction. You can't get authentic moments on, yeah. when people are really hyper aware of the camera. So mm -hmm. I try and get it to the point where they forget I'm there. They're so used to it that they are just so focused with the people around them and in the moment. And then you can capture those really intimate moments um, that you couldn't get otherwise if you just pulled up and whipped the camera out. Yeah, yeah, I know, 100%. And, you know, that kind of ties into your filmmaking overall. You know, just seeing the Colorado Crush, I think, is like the main work I've seen of yours. But I'm excited to see, you know, more with what you've been filming now that probably won't come out months down the road, especially with what you just did in uh, New York with, what's his name, Oz? That just Oz ran. Perlman. Yep. O's. Okay. O's per month. Yeah. yeah. So he just ran, what was it, 135 miles? Just about. Hours? Yeah, 135 just miles about, yeah. in 21 hours, 52 minutes, which Jeez. is insane. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So with filming that only like, I think, two, three weeks ago, give or take, and then this, how is it managing these different projects? And especially as a filmmaker, I know that the storyline isn't as simple as, oh, I'm just going to film it and, you know, you can piece things together and make a story in editing, but there has to be a sense of where the story is going, what kind of shots you want, how you want to interpret or, or present a person or a feat. How do you go about managing all those different projects, especially when a lot of them take, you know, months to plan or edit or film in general? So... There's a short answer and a long answer. The short answer is that <laughs> the luxury with documentary filmmaking is that you do actually most of the work after the fact. So yeah. you try and get as much variety of shots as possible. You try and get as much as possible. And you can really piece the story, you have to, after the fact. There's only so much That's planning true, yeah. you can do. However, depending on the person and the vibe, the feet, that definitely determines the way I approach filming someone and their crazy run. Right now it's running. Mm -hmm. We're going into all sorts of different sports uh, with run, the auditions yeah. report. But the running is the you know uh, low-hanging fruit. But so for someone like Oz, he's, he's really funny. You know, for being a magician, you'd mm -hmm. think he was a comedian. He's mm -hmm. got this drive, this incredible competitive drive to succeed and so that changes how i'm going to film versus someone like hella which is he, he's really trying to you know do this for himself mm. and it's an internal process so for someone like O's, and i think the film is going to come out more as a um a hype reel high energy um mm -hmm. 
highlights of this run to kind of convey the energy of running from Montauk, the tip of Long Island, for people don't don't know, the tip of Long Island all the way into Times Square, 130 miles. So my challenge is how to convey that. You know, I was filming with them all the way for 21, 22 hours. How do I convey that motion and that movement over so many miles through towns, mm-hmm. cities, countryside? And how do I do that in a way that honors who O's is as an athlete and a person? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's almost like you, you can tell me if this is accurate or not, you're kind of building the story off the person's individual personality and vibe as well as you know what the feat says about them or, or the goal itself yeah yeah exactly yeah absolutely so how many red bulls or monsters did you go through trying to film something over that long of, a, <laughs> of an effort you know what's funny is i actually get through it with adrenaline i don't really i drink some uh, coffee yeah, in true. the morning but uh-huh. you know the thing is that I don't want to crash, so I actually don't really consume that much yeah. caffeine. I kind of like it's a slow drip throughout the day. I keep you know the cans of cold <laughs> brew for people. Like that's the tip. Like yeah. get cans of cold brew and then you can just pop and drink them. But um, I didn't want to crash, and also caffeine like it's a diuretic. So like for yeah, it true. was ninety degrees in Long Island in the city in that day filming goes and. You know, if you're drinking coffee, you're going to be peeing that out. You're going to be losing salts. And so um, that's kind of the, I think, one of the things you learn doing, you know, endurance events or whatnot. You're like, you know, caffeine is great, but they're going to be way too much of a good thing. Well, you know what they say, you can't come down if you just keep yourself up. So (laughs) maybe that's the trick. So with, with, uh, you know, we talked about it a little bit before the show. So you just got back to New York. You're born and raised in New York. What was yeah. that experience like growing up in such a big, hectic city uh, w- with so many big names, big things around you? How do you feel like that, uh, you know, added to your growth as an individual and also to your creativity overall? Yeah, so growing up in New York was the best was the best experience ever. I, you know, really grateful to my parents. On you know, some people would maybe want more calm, peaceful upbringing. Um, my parents were, you know, corporate people working late hours, you know, lots of takeout, the classic New York lifestyle. And I think the thing I really appreciate about growing up in New York is that um, I feel like I can travel anywhere in the world and be comfortable because there's always crazy shit going on. You know, you're yeah. walking down the streets and something's happening, all these characters and the incredible diversity. I mean, there are not many places mm-hmm. more diverse in the States than New York. So, um, I think that being here growing up really exposed me to a lot of different environments that helped me be a, you know, a better traveler and helped me connect with more people because I've experienced, you know, a lot of different cultures, et cetera. Yeah, I think it's really easy to kind of just get, especially if you don't grow up in a diverse, a busy city it's easy to kind of get just stuck in your own individual town or even individual state, stay comfortable, stay by, you know, which makes sense close to your family and never leave. But even in my experience with recently moving to Colorado, just connecting with so many different people, experiencing different cultures, what different people are into, how they dress, different things like that. I think it just adds and enriches your life overall and just makes you a better person in the end, you know? Absolutely. Travel is a spice of life. That's right. That's right. And, you know, diving into New York as well, 
something that you were a part of, and I'd love to hear more about what your role was, but the film, The First Wave from National Geographic, covering, uh, of course, the pandemic that we're coming out of, of course. But, you know, what was it like uh, and what was your role, I guess, with the film? And how was that impact with New York obviously being like the hotbed and kind of uh, project or what do you call it, patient zero of the pandemic? Yeah, I mean, it's easy to forget now. Um, you know, April, March 2020, it was all about New York. First it was Italy, then it was New York. And it was like, holy shit, everything is going down um, in New York. And we really felt the brunt of that early pandemic because no one knew what was going on. That was the key thing mm -hmm. to remember is like, no one had any idea how the disease transmitted, you know, how deadly it was. And so um, a couple weeks into the pandemic, uh, I mean, early March, uh, mid-March, I was I got in touch with Matt Heineman, the director, who I had been a huge fan of for a long time. Uh, Matt Heineman is is one of those top-tier observational documentary, especially specializing in, in wartime films. And I had made his acquaintance like several months prior, and I quite literally reached out to him on Instagram via via DM when he was posting mm -hmm. that he was going to work on this film. And I was just like, hey, do you need a hand? You know, I'm in the city and I'm here to help out. And it was all hands on deck for him. So he, within two weeks of this pandemic, he gained access to um, a hospital in Queens called Long Island Jewish Medical Center. That's Matt. He's just an access king. He can just get into any situation. <laughs> you know, he's embedded, he's embedded with the cartels. His film Cartel Land was like wow, nominated yeah. for an Oscar. So... I jumped right into it and it was scary, but it was also exhilarating because everyone was locked up at home and I was going out to this hospital and literally in the belly of the beast doing what I love to do, which is documenting. So I was uh, technically a field producer. I was doing audio and I was also flying the drone a lot. Uh, I'm a drone whiz, so I was... You know, all over the city, <laughs> all over the yeah. city. I was, you know, capturing, capturing the city, capturing, um, you know, ambulances, whatnot. And uh, yeah. yeah, it was an incredible like two month or two working on that film. And uh, I really recommend people check it out. You know, it's not an easy watch. It's a really yeah. important watch. And it's actually an uplifting film because it is a testament and celebration of human capability. And and um, yeah resolve really and that's that's one thing i wanted to ask too with with filming such a serious and and pretty morbid uh situation what was that like filming something so different than you know something that's more obviously positive mm -hmm. as far as someone attempting some feet this is obviously a lot more of a dire and serious situation what was that mentally because obviously you know nurses and doctors have talked about how stressful it is mentally and the kind of that trauma that they bring with them home what was it being so close to, you know, the chaos? So the first wave is a is a celebration of the of the front line of the nurses mm -hmm. and doctors that were in the hospital, you know, in that hospital in Queens, which kind of represents, you know, a lot of America. And so being in there in any kind of observational documentary, you have to be really respectful of who you're filming, but even more so, and at the same time, we couldn't hold back. You know, we were, we were there to document this, and 
I think the nurses and doctors understood that how important it was. Like it was quite literally like this historical record. I think that the film yeah. will become, and so we gained the trust of these few doctors and patients. And I think that they would have they would have no regrets that their journey was documented and shared with the world to see really what you couldn't see behind closed doors in the hospitals at that time. Yeah, absolutely. So it's going to be an interesting way, but hopefully a way I can turn back to a more happy uh, a subject. But tying in kind of the idea of death even, with you being an avid rock climber, what do you think about those insane feats like Free Solo and Alex Honnold and uh, you know, just those crazy things that they do? So, you know, we live in a pretty comfortable world right now, you know, mm-hmm. compared to even 1500 years ago, yeah. everything in our life is so comfortable. You know, we just go to the grocery store to get food, you know, our homes are heated, everything like that, you know, Uber Eats. <laughs> yeah, 100%. in America, we're so spoiled. And I think that this huge surge in rock climbing and, and endurance junkie sports right now mm-hmm. is because people are looking for something to get out of the comfort zone to really push themselves and feel fulfillment because you need you need something tough in your life to really feel yeah. fulfilled and to feel accomplished. And comfort is what we chase, but it's not really what will make us happy. And so for me, rock climbing is a way to achieve an ultimate flow state where you can't concentrate on anything else but you know your fingertips, the sensation of your your toes and the rock, the sensation of the wind. And in this distracted world, it's really hard to get in that kind of flow state. And I don't ever think that I'm at risk myself, uh, you know, barring the catastrophic accident. But I think that it's a feats like Free Solo, you know, these films, The Alpinist, 14 Peaks, they're expressions of mastery and combining mastery with physicality in this beautiful way mm-hmm. that it must be so fulfilling for the athletes and also happens to make a really damn good film. Yeah, well, I, I think you, you hit the nail on the head when you were basically describing that resistance and kind of the endless pursuit of comfort is definitely what makes us feel alive. And I think, you know, you could you could tie it to something more primal to where, you know, we don't have these comforts and we, you know, we're constantly seeking for food or shelter or just trying to survive, right? And then now we're in this modern world where, like you mentioned, we have all these different comforts. Most of us find ourselves in safe communities, safe housing. We have a police force. We have these different things that are kind of taking care for us. And, you know, we kind of long for a little bit of resistance to almost give us that, that thrill, that adrenaline to really, like you said, fulfill us and make us feel alive. So I definitely think, you know, that's definitely what's driving these these crazy feats, these crazy individuals. So you mentioned actually a film. I wrote I wrote this down because I was watching it just a few weeks ago. It was The Alpinist. And, you know, I was watching it on, uh, I think I watched the trailer first. Yeah, it is. And I watched the trailer first, and then I made the mistake of looking at some comments. And I quickly realized that the individual himself, Marc-Andre uh, Leclerc, died, you know, like, not during the film, but, you know, later on in a different feat, you know. And, you know, it made me think about, would you ever consider filming these feats yourself? Because in a way it's similar to, you know, people pushing their limits, 
in the same way that they would during these endurance events. But, you know, with most of these endurance events, worst scenario, they DNF or they could go to the hospital or something like that. But would you ever consider filming something like an Alex Honnold or, you know, something like a NIMS or, you know, Mark Andre to where the potential for death is kind of right there and you're filming it? Yeah, I think that it creates a really complicated ethical situation yeah. when you are filming something that is so close to that line of catastrophe. And you, I know that Jimmy Chin on Free Solo, he couldn't help but ask mm-hmm. himself the question of like, am I, could I possibly contribute to Alex Honnold you know, failing just because of my presence mm-hmm. with my film crew? Um, Mm -hmm. and I think that ultimately, as long as you establish that relationship with the athlete and make sure there's open communication, I would love to film a feat like that where, you know, they're pushing the line. I think Mark Andre had to really, in the Alpinist, he really had to be, um, chased down he didn't like to be filmed mm-hmm. and but i think he was ultimately at the end of the day just just like alex honnold so in the flow that nothing beyond the two feet in front of them was on their mind and i think yeah, that capturing that and sharing that is mm-hmm. the ultimate form of adventure filmmaking to be able to give that to other people as a gift it's incredible yeah 100 percent. especially with those you know it's it is a fine line of you know, this film needs to, to exist. You need to create and devote this, you know, uh, attention to an athlete doing such a, a crazy, you know, feat. But at the same time, you are nervous, like you said, that, you know, your involvement could lead to not only them not, you know, achieving the feat, but, you know, f- you know fat- fatally uh, failing it, essentially. So you've worked with a tons of different people. We've mentioned, you know, a, a ton of the successful individuals and insane athletes kind of you work with individual here other ones have you know been like rich roll and i'm sure this one's of course i haven't mentioned as well out of all the people you've worked with in different sets and things like that that you've been involved with who has left the biggest imprint on you you know kind of mentally or as far as uh, your inspiration so it's got to be it's got to be rich because he has, I mean, I've seen firsthand the number of people that Rich has, forget about inspired, has changed their life entirely, including me. I mean, I've mm-hmm. been I've been vegetarian for a long time. And again, this is not just about diet. It's just about your mm-hmm. inner core, your inner fulfillment. And I think he helped me really realize through his podcast way back. I mean, I was, this is like early in high school. This is um, like seven years ago, eight years ago at this mm. point. I helped, he helped me realize through his podcast the empowerment that comes with taking control of your health and charting your own path and being fully behind that and being fully behind yourself. And so um, I was, you know, really blessed to be able to combine my love of filmmaking, which was somewhat, you know, fledgling and just growing at that time when I was in college, mm-hmm. with 
my passion for health, right? You know, right, specifically through plant-based eating, um, just because I think that's a really easy way to get people to eat better if you're eating more plants. Mm-hmm. And so I worked with folks like Rich Roll, um, John Joseph, Nimai Delgado, um, these kind of really inspirational athletes who, if you see them crushing it out there, bodybuilding or running or swimming, mm-hmm. and they're, they're eating just plants, it's like it's really inspiring. And, and I think that gets people in the door way more than any kind of fear mongering or, you know, yeah. chastising people for eating meat, like whatever. hundred percent. Well, that's, that's, that is one thing that I like, uh, that neither you, Robbie, Rich, you know, do. And I, I'm, I'm happy to see that transition because, you know, coming from a bodybuilding background, I remember years ago when different vegan athletes would come up, it was very fear mongering based. It was very, almost like the PETA approach to where it's like, let me show you murdering a cow right in front of you because that's going to change you rather than, you know, educating and and almost finding a compromise as far as, okay, maybe you're not ready to go cold turkey with cutting off meat from your life, but what can you do to either source more ethically raised um, cattle or to incorporate more plant-based foods into your diet? And I think that's definitely a better approach, especially if your end goal is to convert more people in the long run towards a healthier, more vegan lifestyle. Uh, but health overall, you know, it's you kind of kickstarted a memory that happened, at, you know, a couple of days ago with uh, my wife. We were sitting in a restaurant eating, and we thought about how this, you know, woman to a couple of tables next to us or whatever. She was she got a burger. She had taken the the uh, what do you call it, the bun off of the uh, meat and was kind of nibbling at it and rather just eating the meat. And she also got fruit. So I'm just making the assumption she was trying to be calorie conscious, right? And, you know, trying to remove some of the calories. And, you know, I was thinking about it, how my wife mentioned it. Most people have no clue where their calories are coming from. They don't know that maybe that bun barely has the calories and swapping out the fruit. Sure, it's better than the fries, but you're still getting like some calories and sugar in there. And that exercise overall and what you do outside of this meal is going to have a bigger impact. And so what I'm getting at is the average person almost has no clue about the realities of exercise, the realities of food, of what they're eating, of what macros are and protein and calories and and things like that. It's a lot of myths and magazines and headlines that fill people's brains. And yet everybody eats food. Everybody has a body that relies on exercise and diet. And yet the vast majority of people have no interest in it, no passion in it and no knowledge about it, you know? Yeah. When I was in college, I was, I had already been a vegetarian for four or five years. I was a sophomore. Um, I had, I didn't really thinking back to who I was before. I mean, honestly, I, I owe it to rich and him kind of Mm -hmm. helping awaken me and the the gazillions of people he does. You know, I was eating for breakfast, um, these egg sandwiches with like the morning star veggie sausage patties. Mm -hmm. And I didn't think twice about it. And I ate those for so long and it really started to take a toll on my health. In addition to like it being, cold cold winter i was i went to school in upstate new york and like my my health was deteriorating and i didn't even really realize it Mm -hmm. and so it was like a light turned on just like oh my goodness you know think about what put what you put in your body Mm -hmm. and the nutrient density and just you know it it's so important getting sunlight these kind of things Mm -hmm. and i i felt like i was uh, like 
just totally ignorant, like a zombie beforehand. And it, 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 yeah. it really made this incredible impact. I started getting into running and, and I can't describe how impactful that was on quality of my life going forward. Yeah, it's definitely like a domino effect of positivity and, and just productive outcomes in your life because, you know, kind of how we could point at the government and say, okay, well, the problem with the government, it's not just one thing. There's a bunch of things, right? Well, I almost feel like it's the same way with society as far as, you know, there's rise, I feel like, in conflict and depression and anxiety. And I do wonder, okay, maybe this isn't the sole reason or the sole solution, but how many of, how many people would be happier and healthier if they did you know, eat a little bit more consciously, eat a little bit more whole foods rather than prepackaged. If they drank an extra half gallon of water a day rather than just, you know, Coca-Cola or different things. If they got yeah. outside and got sunlight, like you said, if they just went for a 20 minute walk a day, you know, these different things can make such a big impact. And then when you remove them, you notice the impact. For example, you know, you talked about eating some crappy foods. We all did. Like I used to eat, you know, these like Costco muffins in the morning growing up, everyone probably had like little bites packages. Everyone loves Pop-Tarts, right? You don't but think twice now, about it. You don't, yeah. you don't. And, you know, I freaking, I'm sure everyone does, loves a Pop-Tart, right? They are good as shit. But I'll tell you what, oh, they're yeah, insanely cal calorically dense. And even now with, you know, running and lifting, I can fit, I can fit the Pop-Tart in no problem and still, you know, be leaner, have abs, figure it out, burn it off. It's not about that. It's about the ingredients in it. You know your body is looking at those and absorbing them like, what the hell is this? This isn't, this isn't food. This isn't good for me, you know? And when mm -hmm. you have, you know, let's say some pineapple rings or you have an apple or you have, let's say, you know, lean ground turkey, that's going to fuel you way better. You're going to digest it, feel better. It's going to be better for your body and actually be able to utilize those ingredients uh, and nutrients way more than it is, you know, some Fritos or, you know, a donut or something like that. Like you feel bogged down, you feel slower, you feel sluggish, your stomach feels bloated. And that's your body telling you, hey, you shouldn't be eating like this. And not that moderation isn't a thing, it is. But to your point, you know, a lot of us, you know, I did it the same just as you and your youth just go through life just eating and not realizing, oh, this might be why I feel this way or, you know, this could change my life in a, in a bigger way than I realized. Yeah, the, the way that I found, you know, advocacy in the most natural way for me is by joining forces with these icons, these plant-based crushers and making video content for them, whether it was, you know, I did a ton of Rich Rolls vlogs back in the day. Uh, I created a cooking channel with John Joseph. He's this punk, punk rock, hardcore vegan dude who he turns hell's age hell's angels vegan like special forces vegan because he's just <laughs> yeah. this guy like this dude you know and mm -hmm. um man, so man. Yeah. working and Nima delgado you know he this guy is like freaking huge using Jack, game yeah. changers so that's that's how i you know do my advocacy i think that there's no more powerful way than leading by example and supporting these mm -hmm. people who are setting setting the tone for what you can do and while you're eating you know, fruits and veggies. Yeah, 100%. So what's next for the Audacious Report? What's kind of coming up that you may be filming, at least that you can disclose, or, or at least what you people will be looking out for? So we've got this O's Perlman film in the works, as I mentioned. Um, for those that don't know, he's, he's like an America's Got Talent finalist. He's a magician, mentalist, incredible 
mind reader. And so it's funny that he is also this insane ultra runner and Mm -hmm. both come from this drive, this laser focus and drive that you need to do both successfully. So we're, we got a film about that coming, a film about Hella that's probably further down the pike. As I said, we Mm -hmm. want to make it something larger. And we've got some cool projects coming up, including um, this guy, Brian Reynolds. He's a double amputee. I actually just saw him in Leadville, and we're talking with him. He's looking to do the... um, He's looking to do the seven summits and Mm -hmm. starting with Kilimanjaro and Aconcagua. So that is something we're looking into filming, you know, as a double amputee for him to be scaling mountains like that is just unbelievably impressive. And he's got, I think they were actually just beat, but he's got several like half marathon marathon records for double, for a double amputee running. And, Mm -hmm. um, we're looking into uh, a diverse set of, sports swimming rowing not just running just people crushing it out there we've also got um we are going to release soon jack greener he's a uh actually i think he's worked with Ten Thousand a little bit but mm-hmm. he he sponsored by on running and he is a walking quadriplegic which is incredible um after yeah. a jiu-jitsu accident he was paralyzed and he summited Mount Whitney and there's a film made about that called Paralyzed Peaks. And oh, you so know what? I've are, seen the username now. Yeah. When you said Paralyzed yeah. Peaks, I was like, yep. <laughs> paralyzed to Peaks. So we're we're getting the rights to that film about his summit of Mount Whitney and we're gonna release that on our channel. And he's he's such a such a kick ass dude, you know, for to be completely paralyzed and to be able to climb Mount Whitney in addition to all the other endurance sports he does. Really excited to share that soon on the Audacious Report. Yeah, well, absolutely. Well, I'm, I'm definitely going to be keeping an eye out, especially for that uh, Ooze video because it definitely looked epic as I was kind of following along. So where can people find you individually and also uh, the Audacious Report? So... The best place for me is on Instagram at reese.robinson, R-E-E-C-E dot Robinson. And The Audacious Report is theaudaciousreport.com and The Audacious Report on Instagram. And we've got a lot coming. I should also say that Robbie is going to launch a podcast for The Audacious Report. And I think it's going to be such a hit. He's a charismatic dude. And so Mm -hmm. he's going to sit down with all these incredible endurance athletes doing, um, you know, wild challenges. And so I'm really excited for the podcast to launch and those podcasts are going to come out concurrently with films and yeah, we're creating a little, creating a little media empire here. Yeah. Well, I'm looking forward to it, dude. Thank you again for coming on. Yeah. I wanted to give a little bit of like, like a little bit of advice maybe to freelancers out there. Oh yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, for, I think this is something that I, I have a lot to say on because a lot of people are asking like, oh my God, how do you work with like Rich Roll or even mm-hmm. even Robbie and these kind of folks or, or you know, the first wave is picked up by National Geographic and um, that was, a, you know, probably the most prestigious project I've worked on. And yeah. I think the key really is networking and getting good 
getting good at being lucky. I know it sounds funny, <laughs> but you know, luck takes a certain amount of skill to be able to put yourself in the right position to it get does, lucky. Yeah. You have to be, you have to show up, you have to be there in a position where you can then ride that train onto that next cool opportunity. Um, and so, as I said, with Matt Heineman in the first wave, you know, that was a, that was a DM after I'd met him, right? But I needed to meet him first and that was through a mutual friend. And for freelancers that are looking for advice on how to cold email, cold DM that person mm -hmm. they look up to to work with them, my advice is to, to start, just ask the person you admire to just tell them a little bit about their journey and how they got there. I think if you, if you start out by emailing, cold emailing someone and you're like, hey, can you, you know, help me? I don't think it's as effective as just saying, hey, you know, person I admire, um, maybe find a common thread. Maybe they went to you know, the same school or maybe they live in the same mm -hmm. area and ask them about how they got there. People like to talk about themselves, ask them about um, their journey. And naturally in the conversation, it'll come up, oh, well, how about you? And I found that approach to work really well. And I think that can uh, help a lot of you guys out there get some opportunities. Yeah, well, 100%, you know, it's something we touched on a little bit in like the second uh, podcast I did with another entrepreneur was talking about you know, a lot of people, they go about cold calling or cold DMing, whatever you want to call it today, uh, a little bit the wrong way. You know, you, you definitely need to, like you said, try and create if you don't already have some network example or know a friend of a friend or have that kind of in with somebody to connect with them. You definitely need to come off more personable and ask about them or come across of what you can do for them rather than what they can do for you. You know, if you come at it like, hey, uh, I want to help you film this or, I, you know, you come out trying to jump in without creating that, that relationship and creating that uh, conversation to begin with, they're, exactly. they're quick to just delete it and ignore it. So I think, you know, you, you definitely need to, like you said, come at it in a sense with more humility and uh, more interest rather than, uh, you know, gimme, gimme, gimme or something like that, you know. But I think it's really important for people to understand like networking is so much more important than your resume mm -hmm. and it helps. You need to have a little bit of that experience, but it's all mm -hmm. about who you know. In any it field is, yeah. in your life, it's all about who you know and just sending a resume into a big batch of other resumes is mm -hmm. not really going to get you to where you want to go. 100%. Yeah. And you know, you reminded me of what you said earlier because I was going to touch on this was, you, you know, you hit the nail on the head about opportunity can be lucky, but actually seizing the opportunity is not luck. You know, like you having the, the necessary skills and experience to actually execute a film and do a job properly allows you to seize the opportunity when you email uh, that director to hop on the first wave film or you connect with Robbie because you have the actual skills and experience to, you know, actually seize the opportunity. It's not purely luck. It's you know, being ready for when the opportunity or the luck does present itself. Absolutely. And, you know, for the O's Perlman film, I, my assistant and the photographer was someone I hired who had emailed me out of the blue like two years mm -hmm. ago and was a fan because of the work I did with Rich Roll. And, you know, that we followed each other on Instagram for a couple of years. And I was like, hey, you live in Long Island. I'm doing a feed in Long Island. Like, let's let's work together. So 
it does happen, you know? That's yeah, one and, of the advantages of social media. Social media is amazing like that. You know, I, I've, I'm sure I've gotten some ignored DMs, but there are also so many people that I've connected with purely through um, direct message or pure, like you said, like networking and things like that, like connecting with you, knowing Robbie through 10,000 um, and some different people I've connected with just since moving here. You know, I think people are a lot more willing to help others than it seems, you know, off the uh, surface level. Absolutely. And thanks, dude, for your support of uh, Robbie yeah. and I. You've been like our number one fan. And <laughs> Got the foam finger. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah. You're, you're, yeah. Help, you're helping us. And uh, I'm really excited to see where it goes. And, and I'm excited to share all these dope athletes that are just yeah. blowing it out of the water on their own terms. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I appreciate it again. And uh, we'll catch you guys later.